The next case was presented to Drs. Wolf and Burris by Dr. Fred Coleman. The patient is a 65-year-old woman with breast cancer recurrence 14 years after diagnosis. I have a 65-year-old woman who had a left-modified radical mastectomy back in 1988. And at the time, she was both estrogen and progesterone receptor positive. One out of 32 lymph nodes were positive for metastatic disease. was not able to find the actual size of the tumor, but at that time, after her surgery, she received adjuvant CMF. She was premenopausal at the time, and after the CMF, she was given adjuvant tamoxifen. While on the adjuvant tamoxifen, things were going well, and she completed a five-year course of the adjuvant tamoxifen, so I guess that takes us now to 93. Again, things were going well until 2002 when she developed a recurrence on her chest wall that was actually fixed. It was difficult to surgically remove, but it was biopsied. And at the time, we did check for overexpression for Herceptin, which was negative, and the tumor was, again, both ER and PR positive. Any comment, Skip, on this recurrence that's now occurring, what, 15 years after diagnosis? No, I think rebiopsing and radiation therapy, additional hormonal therapies, probably my first option. Would you be thinking about using systemic therapy before the radiation therapy? How do you make that decision when you have an uh, inoperable tumor in the chest wall? A little bit by discomfort, a little bit by the rapidity with which it came up, a little bit with the pathologic characteristics of it. Obviously, would CT the patient, but I think that getting local control and resuming oral systemic hormonal therapy would probably be my approach. How big was this lesion and was it? It was probably about four to five centimeters. It was pretty big. Was it ulcerated? Wow. No. And what was the time frame over which she told historically it had come up? Actually, I think I probably got involved around 2002. I don't recall that. But in terms of the development of the recurrence? I think it was slower than faster. So, Antonia, you've got a chest wall lesion that's not ulcerating and no symptoms. Was it bothering her? No. What would you be thinking about doing at that point? And, Fred, her systemic staging was? This was an isolated recurrence. Okay. So, it is amazing, another example of the natural history of ER positive tumors, that the second wave, or not even the second wave, but the continuous wave of recurrence with half of them taking place after five years. And what usually happens with some of these patients is that they tend to be more slow-growing, more indolent disease, often presenting with isolated chest wall recurrence. It may be a while before she is to develop systemic disease. Time will tell. So in this situation, I think my initial inclination would be to get her started on endocrine therapy and see what happens with the use, the fact that she has visible disease that you can measure, that you can follow without any blood tests or imaging studies and see what happens. Okay, so what happened? Well, we discussed a variety of different approaches, but the patient wanted to be super aggressive. And what I did was I treated her with four cycles of calf and then four cycles of taxotere. And the lesion basically obliterated after that treatment. I then gave her chest wall irradiation because it would still have been difficult to surgically resect the lesion because of the proximity to the sternum. And then we spoke about some, in quotes, adjuvant hormonal treatment. 
And the options at that time would have been to, I guess, put her back on tamoxifen or an aromatase inhibitor. She had, I think, been off the tamoxifen, you know, for quite some time as well in the adjuvant first-line setting. She didn't really want to go back on any treatment that she had already had, so we put her on Arimidex after the chemotherapy and the chest wall irradiation. So if you can carry her up to the next decision point without saying what you did. In March of 05, which would have been probably now about three years after her initial recurrence, she developed a palpable left supraclavicular node. and Still on Arimidex? While she was on Arimidex. Any problems with the Arimidex? No. We biopsied the left supraclavicular node and... We did confirm that it was still her breast cancer. We restaged her at that time, and she didn't have any other palpable disease or any obviously visible disease, except there was some mild uptake on a PET scan in her left axilla, which was not palpable. So, Skip, this is a lady now who's progressing, previously had tamoxifen, now progressing on anastrozole. The so-called, I guess you could say, the classic effect situation, the effect trial presented by Bill Gratishar at the 2006 San Antonio meeting, progressing in the metastatic situation on a non-steroid aromatase inhibitor. Can you talk a little bit about that trial and how you approach patients who are progressing on AIs? And progressing on AIs is something that it gets to be very, very to me, subjective in terms of the patient's symptoms. This sounds like a very slow-growing tumor. It's a situation where the patient's desire, she sounds like she wants to be aggressive, so you sort of think in the direction of going to chemotherapy. I certainly use a lot of fulvestrant in my practice and give a lot of that. We actually are doing some studies with regard to even looking at adding bevacizumab to the AIs and to fulvestrant, and I think that certainly could be a way we see things heading. Can you talk a little bit about that study? I heard about that. I thought it was really interesting. Bill, you're putting basically... It's anastrozole or fazlodex plus avastin, and the physician gets to choose which one. So, you know, it's a study where we had a number of doctors that were interested, and it was something that was actually sort of a groundswell of support at looking at this, at the fact of adding biologics. And I think we got very comfortable with the fact that trastuzumab seems to add some benefit, although debatable to the degree, but certainly well tolerated with the AIs and with Fulvestrin. So in this trial, it's the physician's choice, as Bill alluded to, and their group's been participating in this and accruing well in a situation where if you feel like the patient's gotten their benefit from the AI, then you can give fulvestrant for the patient when she initially relapsed and had been off tamoxifen for a while. Most of the doctors are given an AI in combination with bevacizumab. To date, obviously very well tolerated through the first 20 patients just to check responses. There was 8 to 10 patients that had clearly responded, so accrual will go to a full group of 100 patients. And so we'll get the comparison of the AI plus fulvestrant, and it's not a randomized study because it's hard to randomize based on what you've had for your experience with recent adjuvant AIs. But it's exciting. The doctors like it. Very well tolerated. A lot of these patients are getting zolegenetic acid or one of the bisphosphonates, so giving them an IV bevacizumab hasn't really complicated things. Most of them are getting IV bisphosphonate as well. If I can make just a quick comment, back to 2002 when she made the decision to go ahead with a more aggressive treatment, 
treatment. So at that moment, she had disease in the chest wall only. It's the whole issue of what to do with patients that have so-called oligometastatic disease. Do these patients benefit from a more aggressive combined modality therapy, which is ultimately what she had versus a more sequential approach? And I think we're increasingly seeing some of these patients In her case, essentially, we don't know whether she has done well in the past three years because of all the treatment she did or whether this is the biology of her disease. It is interesting that her disease remains local regional. She has a supraclavicular node now. She has disease in the left axilla with uptake by PET, but appears to have no evidence of systemic disease. So biology may be telling us something here. I think I would be inclined at this moment, someone who... She has been on an aromatase inhibitor for the past three years or so. I would be inclined to try to get more mileage out of endocrine therapy before I were to switch to systemic therapy. And I think the options at this point, I don't think you have your best option is a discussion with your patient, whether you're going to switch her to full vestrant, which often tends to be used later, I mean, after AIs, after tamoxifen or so, or whether you want to try switching to another class of aromatase inhibitors, such as a steroidal aromatase inhibitor. And some data is suggesting that you may have a response rate of about 10% or so in patients who previously were treated with anastrozole. So I would have those kinds of discussions with a patient still thinking of endocrine therapy. Skip, what's your approach been to loading dose and fulvestrin? The EFFECT trial that compared fulvestrin to exemestane showing pretty similar results did use a loading dose. How are you approaching it? We've adopted the loading dose. I think early on I got the feeling when I first started giving fulvestrin after it was approved, actually feeling like I didn't want to give up on it, pretty well tolerated except for the immediate pain of the injection, but feeling like, you know, at two or three months I really wasn't getting the response I wanted to see. And some of those patients where I sort of closed one eye and continued for four, five, six months, it seemed to be working. So when that data came out in favor of the loading dose, then we've gone that direction. I think some docs have shied away from that because of insurance concerns and some of the financial issues. And we've sort of adopted that and not always done that way, but we decided to ask for forgiveness than permission on fulvestrin as a loading dose and just sort of made it our standard and are pushing through that. I became a little more disappointed following San Antonio because I I think, I mean, over the years, there has a lot of discussions related to the pharmacokinetics of fulvestrant and why the results were not more impressive in patients with metastatic disease with the initial studies and the realization that perhaps it was taking two, three months before the patients were achieving a steady state and therefore you were essentially not treating them. And I think the fact that there were no significant positive results of the effect study despite using the loading dose. So you want to follow up with what happened with the patient? Well, at the time, it was clear that she had reached her, I think, maximum benefit from the Arimidex. So I placed her on the fulvestrinth without a loading dose at the time. And since that time, she's been on it, since around March of 05, she still doesn't have anything palpable in her left axilla. The supraclavicular node is barely palpable. Interestingly, when the node popped up, her CEA went up to about 9, and we've kind of been using that, you know, as a marker, and the CEA normalized now. It's less than 1, and actually, I see her periodically. She comes in for her monthly fulvestrin injection, and otherwise, she continues to do well. This is actually wonderful news, showing us that biology plays a significant role, and potentially, whenever she has a progression, hopefully not for a long time, that some other form of endocrine therapy might still be worthwhile. 